Hey there, welcome to Why We Roll, a tabletop role-playing game design podcast. We're your hosts, Chris Pickett, creator of the historical fantasy game Dance Macabre, and Wythe Marshall, creator of the political sci-fi game Stillfleet. Throughout the show, Chris and Wythe hope to amplify new creative voices. We'll chat with different TTRPG designers focusing on the world of indie games. We take a curious approach to game design, working through a range of mechanical and narrative questions that are pertinent to many designers, players, and GMs. We hope to showcase fresh and even challenging ideas about what makes imagination-based games just so powerful. Okay, let's find out why we roll. We are live. What's all up, right. Chris? Not much. How are you doing, wife? I'm all right. Uh, I'm excited to play Dance Macabre, yeah. which I take it is the subject of today's Why We Roll. <laughs> it is indeed, yeah. Uh, and Why We Roll is a stream and podcast where we talk about tabletop game design, talk about mechanics, talk about things that we like, things that we don't like, um, generally taking, what's the word that we like to use, an ecumenical approach to design. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, this game, which we're going to play is a game you designed, which we talked about in a previous episode. Uh, and I'm very excited. Um, I think it's really cool and enjoyed reading it and making a character, which didn't take long at all. Yeah. Great. Uh, yeah. How, how was the character, uh, creation process for you? Uh, pretty straightforward. I mean, I think you're going for a bit of an OSR, you know, you don't have a lot of stats, Mm -hmm. um, but actually it's a little different. It's kind of a unique system. Uh, so that's fun to try to sort of parse when you really get into character creation. I think that's the first moment in a game when you're like, how good am I going to be at stuff? What am <laughs> I, you know, what's my specialty? Um, and a lot of, um, you know, the, the game is written in terms of character creation to be random. So I just uh, went with that and, and sort of rolled everything randomly. Um, so my age, my background, uh, the gear I have, I mean, it's all basically just random Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff and it makes it makes sense it adds up to a character um whom you can easily imagine you know in, in your head like he's a clearly was like a veteran and he's old he's 51 uh and he's a veteran and so he has some uh you know equipment that that a, someone who fought in these various late medieval wars would have um but nothing you know nice he's not rich or anything so he has a sword still yeah uh, and he's got his helmet and he's got you know a leather um I guess whatever Gambison is, right? Is that like a leather cuirass, like a yes, yeah, chest piece? Yeah, you are. You're correct. So it's a, uh, it's, it's either like wool, reinforced wool, or leather. It's kind of like uh, in Dungeons and Dragons, it's usually referred to as like padded leather armor. Or stu- um, the next up would be brigandine, which would be like studded leather. Um, but yeah, Gambison. It's basically just like hard leather uh, shirt that you wear over a tunic, uh, which provides a little bit of armor support. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to uh, to go aventuring. Aventuring. Uh, yeah. Do you want to introduce your your supplicant, your character? Um. Yeah. Maybe. You know. I, I'm also curious where I am in time and space. But I yeah. think uh, wherever I am, I'm um, I'm a 51 year old. Uh, I'm gonna say veteran uh, named Galois the Bitten. <laughs> um. Why am I the Bitten? Is it a metaphor? Um. Is it about being hard bitten, like just a irascible, you know, uh, Liam Neeson-esque um, old guy? Uh, or was I literally bitten by, like, a wolf? Um, maybe both. Maybe both. Uh, my backgrounds are hunter and brigand. Um, oh, yeah, so that actually implies I was a professional hunter 
and then at some point as um the world you know went to uh to hell um to l'inferno uh i i became you know a highwayman uh, and my humor is choleric so i'm temperamental and angry so i'm getting um uh getting vibes a la you know gran torino uh that kind of character but uh i'm not gonna lean into that too much i think i'm more um yeah, I, I like the idea that uh, that I'm not just stereotypically an angry old man, just because that I think that's too on the nose. Um, now, score wise, which you wouldn't see, viewer, but scores I have vitality three, so I'm not terribly robust, no. um, randomly determined, uh, which makes sense because I'm getting old. So I think that's just like a creaking in the in the bones. Mm-hmm. Um, my finesse is eight, so I've retained my incredible, you know, uh, hand-eye coordination. So that makes sense. Again, I was a hunter. Good. Um, at, at shooting stuff. Um, although I don't currently have a bow at all. I have my sword, but no bow. And my insight is five. So I'm, I guess, of middling intelligence. Yeah, pretty, pretty um, decent. Pretty decent insight there, for sure. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, for those listening and watching, um, yeah, the game, uh, those, are, those are the three main attributes, is you have vitality, finesse, and insight. Uh, vitality acts as both your... HP, what we would think of as like your health points or anything like that in a, in a tabletop role-playing game, as well as your strength. Uh, so we're going to be using it to, well, Wythe will be using it to roll uh, a dice pool that is equal to his number of vitality. Anytime he tries to do something that requires, you know, any kind of feat of strength or endurance. Uh, finesse, on the other hand, is similar to dexterity in a lot of other games. It's your hand-eye coordination. It's your uh, flexibility. It's your, uh, yeah, your manual dexterity. Nice. Just grab the dice. And then, uh, yeah, insight is, uh, it's basically like your your perception and kind of general mental acuity. It's not the same as intelligence or wisdom in some other games. It's, it's a little bit more broad than that, but it has more to do with perception, uh, being able to read situations, and also... Um, yeah, just picking up on subtle hints, subtle clues in the environment as well. Cool. So I feel briefed on the system. So it's a D6 pool system. So I have um, 66s in front of me. If I roll finesse, I'll just have to roll a couple of them again. Because yeah. um, I'm balling in that stat. <laughs> um, yeah, I have my character made, and I, I'm still working on the image, but I'm kind of going with somewhere between, um, uh, yeah, like a like a Liam Neeson-esque character and, um, you know, like uh, more of a Patrick Stewart, like a little more, more of a, um, just reserved, like not necessarily like so cranky that like, that's my thing. Everyone knows me Mm -hmm. uh, for, so I'll, I'll figure it out. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of flexibility in terms of like the humors, right? I, I approach that as though it were an alignment in an OSR game. Uh, So instead of being, um, instead of being lawful, neutral, or chaotic, you have the four humors, but you can still, you can mix them. You know, you can be stoic, but also kind of quick to anger. I think that would still count as being cleric. Uh, so yeah, you can, you can really play it however you want, but that's kind of like the core of your personality is that you, uh, you do have some anger issues that you have to work out. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, there was a whole, um, you know, Hellenic Mediterranean cosmology around the four humors that mm-hmm. fed into the medieval Christian um, and Islamic, you know, imaginaries about bodies and minds. And it's, it's such a different world that like, we've kind of lost those things. So it's, <laughs> it's very hard. It's like, you have to be a historian to sort of translate into humoralism, you know, um, yeah. the modern 
you know, a Freudian sort of like conscious, unconscious, um, it ego, super ego, like dimensions, like they don't really, nothing really maps the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think some amount of angry old guy is fine as a starting place and I'll, I'll figure out how Galois is as I know more about the world. I'm very curious. It's been a while. Um, I played in some fantasy games recently, but not a historical game. So I think it'll be interesting to kind of, you know, as a, as a bit of a historian, like, uh, try to imagine this person in actual medieval France and not like fantasy version of, you know what I mean? Um, so no elves, let's go. No elves. Fucking do it. No elves, no dwarves, no orcs, just really messed up people. That's, that's the (laughs) fantastical element is, uh, mutated, corrupted people. Yeah. Which it's a nice metaphor for real, like papal, whatever. Yeah. This is great. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. (laughs) Kick it off. Exactly. Um, all right. Yeah. Let's, let's jump in. Um, it is the autumn of eight or not 18. Sorry. It's the autumn of 1390. We're going to cut that in the audio part. Uh, (laughs) It is the autumn of 1390, and rumor of a memento mori, a famed item which, uh, you know, according to the whispers, might allow you to release yourself from this never-ending cycle of death and rebirth, uh, which you're... Oh, actually, I should have asked you, do you have any starting corruptions that you rolled up? Um, I did, I do not have any on my sheet. Was that uh, a mistake or is that correct? That may be a slight mistake, but that's okay. Oh, where does it say that I get starting corruption? Sorry. I must've missed that. Let's see. Uh, healing. In guidance. the one point, in the 1.2 playtest version, uh, it's under age and background section, but that's okay. We can, uh, we can roll you up a couple right now. Uh, do I not have the right book? Oh, maybe Has it not. been updated? I think I have 1.1. 1. 1. Oh, okay. Is it? Okay. It's been updated since then. It's not a big deal. Let's, it's more or less I the see. same. We should double check that. Um, let me pause and get the book because okay. I did not know that. Um... Yeah, they're more or less the same. Uh, there's just a, some slight changes between the two uh, two editions so far. Um, oh, okay, here we go. So, we, all right, so this version, we do not have the title page, but all right. So I may have to remake portions of my dude. Um, I think the only thing that you have to redo is just rolling the corruptions. Everything else. Yeah, starting corruptions, age. So I'd have two corruptions. Yes. Okay. Um, so I just roll those and then go from there. Yep. Uh, cool. So yeah, it's a it's a d six six six, which means that you're going to roll one d six for the hundreds, one for the tens, and ones for the one place. Right. Um, okay, we'll say um, that the rubber dice is uh, hundos, the porcelain dice is tenses, and the plastic dice is onesies. Nice. So I got a four, a six, and a two. Four, six, two. Okay, so um, <laughs> this is great. Uh, you are 
sauterelle, which means that you have the rear abdomen and legs of a grasshopper. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay, that's perfect. Yeah. So you've got, yeah, you got locust legs uh, <laughs> for the bottom part of your body. Love that. Um, okay, just making a new entry on my character sheet here. Um, that's, you know, that was, a, I remember that from French classes. Some French people have um, grasshopper legs. <laughs> uh, all right, so I should roll one more time, correct, yes. for my second corruption? Yeah. Okay. 262. 262. Uh, okay, you also have antlers. Uh, you have two sharp, multi-pronged antlers growing out of your head. Uh, way. Darian. Yeah, you can um, you can use these to gore people with, um, which would basically be like a vitality melee attack. Um, it does mean, however, that you cannot wear a helmet. So should I ditch the helmet that I have because it's pointless? Uh, yeah, yeah. And that frees up a slot, right? It does. So, um, all right, I'm going to get rid of this leather helm, which means my defense drops to two. But now I have ten. I have two free slots. Okay. So nine slots total. Seven of them occupied. All right. Uh, great. Nice. Um, now imagine Liam Neeson, but with antlers and huge grasshopper legs. <laughs> um, I'm going to say of the striped uh, variety, sort of the leopard, you know, pattern. Oh, yeah, I love crickets. That. Yeah, those guys. Variegated grasshopper legs. Um, yeah, fantastic. All right, let's, we're going to rewind, you know, the tape goes back. Um, it is the autumn of 1390 and you have found yourself in Normandy in the Northwest of the abandoned realm, once known as France. Um, there has been rumor that's brought you here of a famed memento mori, a, a, a mystical item that is said to be able to break the cycle of death and rebirth. Um, kind of the, the general rumors that you know, the rumors that you've heard are that if you hold one of these while you're dying, you just, you don't wake up again. That's just what, uh, what people kind of whisper from all the way from villages to uh, keeps. Um, but yeah, you have arrived in a small village south of the city of Cain, which was uh, destroyed about 50 years ago when the English invaded through the English Channel. Um, but yeah, you are in Evry sur Orne, which is a tiny, sleepy fishing village, which is along the River Lorne. Um, it is, uh, yeah, it's super small. There's seven or eight timber houses. All of them have thatched roofs that are just kind of scattered along hillsides that rise up from the river. Um, there's muddy dirt paths that kind of connect everything together and a small marketplace in the middle of town. Uh, the only other landmark or point of interest is that on one of the hills to the east, uh, there is a small kind of Romanesque limestone chapel um, or abbey that is sitting on top of a hill overlooking the town. Uh, you've arrived in the early morning, made pretty good time getting here. Uh, the sky is very densely overcast. It looks like it's threatening to rain, so it's very gloomy and dark in these kind of early morning hours. Um, I might get this wrong. I think in the canonical hours it would be Vespers. 
I don't quite remember. Um, I have Vespers is uh, dusk. Vespers is dusk. Oh, okay. I don't yeah. know which time it is. Martins, maybe. Yeah, Martins is dawn. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, in the early in the early hours of Martins. Uh, but yeah, you uh, you approach the village. Uh, you're coming from the east, and basically, you don't see much activity happening. It's very early. There's a few men and women who are kind of wading into the river, doing some fishing with nets and um, you know, like kind of spears or harpoons. Um, in the marketplace, you see a couple of people. There's a, a woman who's sitting next to a rack of drying eel and fish. And she's uh, currently gutting an eel. Uh, but you notice that she's not using a knife to do it. She's actually just using her left hand, which has been transformed into a, a, a crab claw, um, basically just a sharp pincer that she's using to kind of scissor up into the, the belly of the eel to remove its, its innards. Uh, and prepare it for uh, salting and drying. Um, you also see a uh, peddler who's kind of fiddling about with his wares. You know, he's getting ready for the day, um, just getting items out, sorting them, making sure that they're they're looking good for sale. Um, and you notice that as he moves, a kind of strange after image follows behind him everywhere he goes. Uh, the last person that you see is there's a, a maybe, you know, you're pretty advanced in age for this time period. Um, but there's a woman who is even older than you are. This woman looks ancient. And she's sitting on a stump in front of a timber house, a hut, really. And uh, she's attempting to do some embroidery. And you notice that her the hoop that she's using for embroidery is being held in her left arm, which is the same arm as a bear would have. Uh, it's kind of long and has a shaggy grayish brown coat on it. And it's tipped with uh, five black claws that are kind of awkwardly holding this hoop as in her right hand, she's doing her, her embroidery work. Um, the hoop keeps kind of like slipping and you can hear her kind of like cursing at it. Um, the other strange thing about this woman is that she would be very, very short, very small, uh, but she has a, a strangely long, like three foot long, thin neck that's kind of like craning out of her torso and like kind of awkwardly stooped and craned over her embroidery work. Um, yeah, the, you know, the sun is hidden by the clouds, but there is some light that's starting to filter in over this gloomy village of every sir Orn. Um, that's, that's what you see when you approach. Uh, all right. And am I, I'm traveling here because of the rumors of the Memento Mori, right? Yeah. Yeah. So everything that you've heard so far has basically just brought you to this village, uh, maybe like in a, in an inn or a bathhouse, uh, somewhere outside of Paris. Somebody said that they had heard something about every Sir Orn having a Memento Mori. And that's, what's brought you to this village. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hate Normandy. This is like the same as going all the way to England, but <laughs> Uh, without the benefits of uh, the the channel, you know, seeing the lovely channel and the fish. Uh, look at this, these fucking <laughs> Normand, Normans, Normans. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess I, I sort of nod curtly to folks as I'm walking through town. I think I, I'm wondering who would know about a memento mori, and I'm guessing people doing normal stuff might know, but um, is, is there possible to just try to play it cool, even though I have cricket legs uh, and, and antlers, but yeah. try to like not 
draw too much attention and just look around and see if there's someone who looks knowledgeable and or in charge of uh, every Sirlorn. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you can definitely play it cool with antlers and crooked legs. I mean, the corruptions are not a rare thing in this time period, right? It's like a lot of people have corruptions. Most people, in fact, that you see have some kind of corruption. It'd actually be stranger to see someone who would be around your age without, you know, any kind of mutation on their body. Cool. Uh, so yeah, people, you know, you, you come in, you give a curt nod to some of the villagers who are making their way to the river. Uh, they give you an even curter nod back. Uh, if such a thing can exist, um, they seem pretty distrusting of you. You know, it's a small community, uh, relatively isolated. So they know everybody who's around, all that good stuff. Uh, so, yeah, they, they kind of like, you know, give you a like a what's up, but they don't look happy to see you. Um, yeah, as you kind of get towards the center of the village, you know, that's where the, the marketplace is. And uh, the peddler starts kind of calling out to you, seeing that you're obviously not from here. You're a traveler. Um, you can hear him kind of like calling over your shoulders like, Hail, traveler, do you need goods for the road? Um, and at that, uh, the old woman with the bare arm kind of like crooks her neck in an odd angle to look over her shoulder at you. Um, but then shakes her head and then turns back to her work. Um, how does eating work? Do I need to buy food or can I just soldier on? Uh, yeah, so you will need to buy food at some point. Um, basically, every time you take a rest, uh, if you would like to heal during that rest, you have to consume a rations worth of food. Um, it. So it's like, you know, it. I kept it pretty light, pretty simple. There are rations, there are quality rations. They have like different levels of healing properties when you rest. Um, but yeah, you can buy, uh, you can buy rations. You can also usually, if you wanted to buy like any other kind of food, uh, like when I was playtesting with Jen last night, she bought some eel, some dried eel from the, the crab lady. Uh, and we just counted that as rations because, you know, just stack it all up together. Yeah, yeah, I would assume it's like a generic, um, yeah, generic measure of nutrition, mm -hmm. not like a, a specific dish. Yes, um, yes. Uh, and we don't start with any rations, right? Um, oh, so in the 1.2, you actually do. You start with 1d3 rations. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, you can roll that roll. up and see if you have some food already. I start with one. Okay. So I have some food. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ignore it, wave these people off and, uh, and just keep looking around. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not much else to see. There's a couple of kids that have kind of come out of their hovels and they're starting to play. Uh, you do notice that the, the doors to the abbey that's sitting up on the hill kind of swing wide and, and, uh, an abbot does make his way out. You can tell just from like the habit that he's wearing, um, he might have like a small miter, you know, like a little, the Pope's hat is called a miter, but this is like a smaller, less ornate miter. Uh, but you can tell that he's an authority figure um, in this village. And yeah, he's going out to the, uh, the Abbey garden and just kind of looks like he's milling around in the garden, maybe checking to see if his turnips have, have ripened or not. Uh, I follow him. Uh, discreetly and uh, watch him look at turnips. And I also look at the turnips and try to think of something witty to say about turnips, probably from like a popular song or like, Oh shit. Is there a 
verse of the Bible about turnips, <laughs> the wisdom of the turnip, something, the little turnip seed who could, uh, the little turnip seed who fights Behemoth and if saves the walls of Bethlehem. I don't remember. Um, and I, I, I try to get as it, I would like to do one of, one of these, like, <clears throat> good, good, sir. Uh, your eminence, etc. Uh, I'm standing here. <laughs> uh, he crouching, I guess. Yeah. The legs crouching, you know. Yeah. How does a how does a grasshopper stand on two legs? Is it a just a constant crouch? I don't know. Uh, as we all know from Pinocchio, um, it depends if they're wearing a vest and a top hat. Uh, so I don't have those uh, accoutrements. So I think I'm just crouching like a normal cricket <laughs> grasshopper. Orthopteran. Um you do you do have a a, a gambeson on though that could be your Jiminy Cricket vest. That's true. Yeah, you just kind of like hold it like this, a little straighten it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that's what I'm doing awkwardly. Like, uh, yeah, like Napoleon also did that. So maybe there's something to that. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, I'm looking as informal but like um, chill, but also polite as I can. So not like sloppy, but you know, not like a menacing brigand, but just like a normal passerby. Yeah, trying to be as normal as possible. Um, yeah, well, the abbot uh, he turns to look at you, and um, you can see he's he's got like a look of just annoyance in his eyes. He says, "Oh, another another traveler come to steal my turnips, eh? Well, these are God's turnips, and you would be loath to touch them." And he kind of like, he's carrying a crosier, you know, like a staff with a cross on top. Uh, and he kind of like pokes it at you, not hitting you, but just kind of like trying to ward you off a little bit. Um, so he, he obviously takes you for, you know, some kind of threat for whatever reason. Uh, you do notice as he's speaking, his, his teeth aren't teeth. They're actually pebbles of granite, which are kind of stuck into his gums. Um, and as he's talking, like when his teeth, clamped together when he's speaking it, it makes like a grinding noise um and the he's an older man uh, but some of the skin on his face neck hands arms anything that's exposed uh, you see like flecks of of tree bark like oak bark growing hmm. out of and on top of his skin um as well um but yeah yeah he's an older man he's wearing a black woolen cossack and he's he's trying to get you away from his turnips right now uh, no, I don't need your turnips. I'm here for another reason. You can relax. I'm trying to show that I am uh, respectful, but informal, relaxed. Uh, you're not picking up on subtle social clues. It's almost like society itself has dissolved. <laughs> uh, how annoying. Uh, look, I need to know about, hey, and I like lean in again, not like to scare him, but just like to close the space between us, like a memento mori. Oh, uh, at the uh, at the mention of the memento mori, he looks slightly aghast, and he crosses himself, makes the sign of the cross, and says, "What need of ye for such a terrible item, traveler?" Uh, terrible. Well, um, I thought many people might seek it because now none of us can die, and we come back. and I sort of gesture at like my legs. Um, we come back stranger and stranger and perhaps this is uh, the apocalypse and God is punishing us. But if it's true that you can be cleansed through the memento mori and maybe uh, 
I can one day meet, you know, my family in heaven. I mean, that's generally the gist of why everyone wants these things, right? Is this, am I missing something? I'm like looking around like at an invisible audience. Um, you can see that he relaxes a bit. He says, a test, stranger, a test. I had to make sure that you weren't one of those, one of those brethren of the, the deathless lamb, that, that cult, those heretics who seek to destroy the memento mori so that we all must die in this dance over and over again. Um, he says, I know now from your words and your countenance that you are not among their flock. Um, so I, I welcome you to every Sir Orn. I am Abbot Matthew. And if you're looking for such an item, I may be able to help point your way. Oh, uh, merci. Uh, yes, this is a wonderful, um, wonderful shithole that you have established. <laughs> and the turnips, I'm sure, would be delicious and nutritional and whatnot. Um, I have lived a long time and killed many men. And my whole family, my lovely wife, all slaughtered. Uh, now, presumably, risen from the dead. I, unclear. I can't find them. Uh, I just want this thing. I want this all to be over with. Um, I'm weary. Uh, I'm very weary. So if there's some way I can maybe help out, I'm not great with the turnips. I was a hunter. I'm pretty good at taking down a deer, uh, maybe a rabbit. You have a rabbit in the yard somewhere. I will find it for you. Then you tell me about the artifacts from heaven. And um, there you go. Okay. And Jean's your uncle. <laughs> Um, he, uh, he looks at you pretty sternly, but he, he looks you directly in the eye and he says, perhaps, perhaps our goals are aligned, traveler. I can help you and you can help me. You see, to the south, there is a keep, which is the home to a band of brigands, uh, said to be led by the famed routier, uh, Henri Le Ravageur. Um, and I don't know if you've heard of this guy or not. Uh, you can maybe make an insight yeah, let's do it. Let's do some insight. Oh, Chris, I might have lost you. Ah, uh, my Wi-Fi is not good. Hmm. Are we back? I think so. Are you able to hear me? I can hear you, yes. I think maybe my Wi-Fi is crapping out now. It's, it's really unfortunate. Um, um, yeah, yeah, let me roll. So um, yeah, you'll make an insight check. You're going to roll a number of d6 equal to your insight score. And then a 4, 5, or a 6 is a hit, and a 1 through a 3 is a miss. I got three fours. Three fours. Okay, so three hits. Uh, yeah, you you have heard of Henri Le Ravageur before. Uh, you are, you're not from Normandy, as you already established. You don't like being here. Uh, but uh, this man's, we'll say like, you know, you have some, you have some banditry in your past. You have some brigandry. So maybe around a campfire or two, you have heard tell of Henri. Uh, he is an English mercenary who was present at the sacking of Cain, which is the city just to the north of where you are. Um, and in, uh, the, I think, 1349, uh, the English came over the channel and laid waste to the entire city. Uh, they, they meant to capture it. It ended up going wrong from there, and the city has just been in ruins ever since. Uh, but the rumors say that he was there and that uh, after 
Kane and after the kind of successive campaigns that happened, he stuck around in Normandy and has just continued to hire himself out as a sellsword, but also just to kind of generally pillage and terrorize the countryside. Um, one of the rumors that you've also heard about him is that he is known to collect strange and expensive religious artifacts. Um, he's particularly interested in anything with religious or mystical significance. Um, so yeah, Matthew, Abbot Matthew, tells you that uh, Henri Le Ravageur is living near Evry sur Orne in a keep that is about one day's walk to the south of where you are. And he says, if you can drive out the bandits, that would be a boon to me. Um, in fact, it would be a boon to the entire village. You see, they, they make their way north through the forest every now and then and terrorize us, stealing whatever livestock and goods that they can, knowing that even if they kill us, that we'll just come back to produce more. Uh, mm. So if you can drive them out, that would be a help to the, to the village. But at the same time, you may be able to find what you're looking for. You see, Henri is known to collect religious items of some significance. And if anybody in this wretched place in Normandy would have a memento mori, he's probably the man to have collected it. Um, so question, how does this work with ravaging when people can't die? Is it just like they're annoyed or it's the threat of the corruption? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What is the social dynamics of being a brigand in this age? Yeah, like I, which I imagine my character would know from right. doing it. Yeah, it's more the threat of the corruption um, because as, as your character would know, um, if you become corrupted enough, you lose yourself to madness. Um, and people, there's different, like in different places, they call it different things. You can be called demoniac, you can be called possessed, all of these things. But you essentially seem to lose your mind and become just a monster. Um, you are no longer yourself. So even though people don't necessarily fear death in the same way that they used to, they do fear this loss of self um, or this kind of like transformation into a demon or a possessed or, you know, whatever, becoming right. overly corrupted. And how long has the corruption been happening? So like how, like how is society, cause it seems like there's still semblance of normalcy, mm -hmm. like in every Sirorn. Yeah. It's, and it's presumably in Paris. It's been about like 30 years at this point. Um, so Paris actually is, is also just in ruins. Uh, that kind of happened, between like successive peasant uprisings of jacquerets, uh, but also like, you know, local lords and other, um, you know, routiers basically just coming and plundering the city because they were no longer so afraid of death. Uh, so Paris is in ruins. Um, and really the, the economies that still exist are just kind of like these small village economies. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's a bit of it's a vibe of like a zombie apocalypse setting in mm -hmm. that it's it's like enclaves that are small. There's not much political economy as such because there's now just like monsters wandering around. Right. Yeah. Um, People still use the currency just because you know it like the denier. It's silver penny. It's actual silver. It's precious metal. So there is some like trade value left in it, um, but it's rapidly becoming more and more rare to see coinage. It's more of just going back to straight barter trade. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Ken was sacked like 50 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. so like that's been a minute. Yeah. That's been so a I would have been like a little kid or newborn. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I tell, um, 
Bishop Matthew? No, not Bishop. Uh, Abbot. 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 Yeah. Abbot Matthew. That I will take care of his. Uh, you know, two birds, one stone. Um, which I could actually say in French. I think about it, but I, I tell I tell him uh, that I can um, take care of his brigand problem, get this memento mori, and then I will see him. Uh, you know, at the side of. Um, uh, the Christ, you know, when we're all hanging out, we're all doing a thing where you roast food around the fire together and you go and pick the food you want and you roast it and you're sharing. Um, I go overly in an overly long way describing like a barbecue situation. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> Since there's uh, no I just word. like step backward. Yeah. As Homer Simpson distra- into the hedge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he gave me what I need. Like, like, I know where to go now or do I need like to find something else to sort of, I mean, I know he just said South, but I just follow Lorne down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Day. He said it's, it's about a day's walk to the South. You'll be able to find this keep. Um, and yeah, I mean the, the river Lorne does it, it flows from South to North. So you can just follow it in the opposite direction. Um, but you can also see from the hilltop that you're on overlooking the village, there is like a horse track. There's like a single horse track that is going South into a kind of wooded area. Okay. Um, I, uh, I follow the horse track, um, in the bushes a little bit or like not too far in the bushes cause I'm old and it's annoying and I'm annoyed by the bugs and, um, <laughs> keep falling, but I'm trying to like not be immediately visible if they're brigands so I can get the jump on them. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm proceeding cautiously down toward, uh, the place he told me about. Nice. Um, yeah. So you're following this track, um, leading south out of every Sir Orn. And yeah, it's uh, it's very muddy. It's been churned up by, you know, a couple of carts, some horse hoof prints, footprints, things like that. Uh, so, you know, the, the travel is not easy, especially for someone of your advanced age. But luckily, you are still pretty lithe, which is good. Um, as the path winds into the tree line, it is just swallowed by darkness. Um, you know, it's like mid-morning at this point. There's some light, but it is pretty dark in the woods. Um, you see the River Lorne steadily flowing northward, uh, just to the west of you. You're kind of on the east bank of the river right now. Um, well, not kind of. You are on the east bank of the river right now. And uh, yeah, to the east, there's a, a hillside that's kind of rolling upward, crowded with more dark trees and strewn with limestone outcroppings. Uh, the gloaming sky continues to threaten rain as you trod through the mud. Uh, and after about a couple hours of, of kind of trudging through this mud, you find yourself at a crossroads. Um, there is a path that goes off of the main road that heads west. Uh, and you can see, even from where you are, from your vantage point, there's a small kind of footbridge that goes over the river at a fording spot. Um, and then to the east, the path just kind of continues, but it seems like it gets a little bit darker, a little bit more overgrown on the eastern side of the path. Um, however, as you are taking all this in, um, as you're you know, figuring out which direction you want to go, you hear a, a low growling coming from the underbrush. And you turn around to see three wolves who are kind mm. of darting around in the underbrush. Um, they're definitely scoping you out. It doesn't seem like they're necessarily ready to attack. Um, one of them 
kind of like creeps out. He sticks his head out and then sticks, a little bit more of his body comes out from the underbrush. And you realize that this wolf doesn't have the kind of typical four canine legs. Uh, instead, it has eight arachnid legs, which are sprouting from kind of like chitin on its underbody coming outward. Um, but yeah, this, this wolf is growling at you. It has its teeth bared. Uh, you spotted at least two others that were in this pack with the wolf, but you don't know where they've gone at this point. Um, what uh, what would you like to do in this situation? Um, well, I mean, I think I've tackled wolves before, literally, yeah. hence being bitten. <laughs> um, I'm pretty annoyed at these wolves if they're going to slow me down here. I'm, I'm on my way to... Uh, oblivion sweet sweet oblivion so yeah i mean i draw my sword and i'm i guess if it's possible to scare them off i don't know if i would know like are these like hellish demonic wolves who will not be easily scared off or can i like normal wolves i think it, you could argue you know you could tell to, to fuck off by waving a sword yeah. and, and running at them yeah absolutely um no i mean it seems like they're still acting as wolves would act um it doesn't seem like they're you know, like particularly rabid or particularly aggressive, but yeah, they're, they're just acting like wolves. So you could probably make a safe assumption that they're, they're not corrupted to the point of that kind of like possession or insanity quite yet. Okay. Um, excuse me that I, I'm going to try to, yeah. Um, just like get them to, to scatter. And, um, is it dark? It's dark now or no? Uh, yeah, it's fairly dark. It's not, uh, you know, it's not nighttime, but it's pretty dark in the woods for sure. Okay. Question. I have one torch. Mm -hmm. Do I have to light that in order to see at night? And if I don't, will I suffer, you know, disadvantage or something? Yes. Is that the... Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's not in the rules, but it's kind of assumed that you have like a flint or something you can use right. to light a torch. Um, that might be good to clarify, like the the food rules, the light rules, if those are things you want to be crunchy in yeah. the game, you know? Yeah, the food rules um, in the 1.2 version, the food rules are in there. They're clarified there. Um, got it. The light rules do need to be built out a little bit more. Um, even just saying, like, you have a flint on your person, it doesn't take an inventory slot. These are just kind of the assumed items that you have on you. Yeah. Um, but like how you use it, like is it one per night or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, torches last three hours each um, of like okay. continuous burn. So that's like a thing that you have to track. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. That needs to be built out a little bit more. Okay. So right now I am... Uh... All right. So yeah, I can I roll to intimidate the wolves? Is that a possibility yeah, in the game? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would have you make an insight check. And what we're going to do, we're going to do an opposed roll. Um, so the wolf is also going to roll insight. And uh, yeah, if you match or exceed the number of hits that the wolf gets, then you successfully can scare it off. Okay. Wolves are pretty stupid, but still, I'm pretty angry. I think this is where my choleric temper kicks in. So I, I'm going to use this to gain advantage. Yeah, great. Um, to, to scare off these wolves because I am also a monster. So I think I rear up on my cricket legs. Yeah and brandish my antlers and I'm waving my arming sword, uh, crazily. Um, and also waving the unlit torch, you know, just to have two things happening. Yeah. Love it. And I'm yelling, uh, um, a body soldier song or hunter's song. Um, but like yelling it in like a more metal, you know, staccato <laughs> way at the wolves. Um, 
All right, let me, let me roll uh, my five dice for insight. All right, I got a five, a six, a five, and a five. Oh, that's pretty that's good. That's very good. Uh, pretty yeah. Waste of advantage there, but I guess I'll roll again, see if I get all successes. That's four successes. Uh, so the way that advantage works is that it makes it so that a three or better is considered a hit. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it doesn't, you don't reroll. Right. Okay. So that would still be, it'd be four successes yeah. either yeah. way. Um, so yeah, you, you raise up on your cricket legs. You take kind of an, if you like fully extend your Sauterelle legs, you, you can achieve a pretty good height over this wolf, bearing down on it, singing your body song. And uh, eventually like the wolf kind of like growls at you a little bit more, tries to like snap, make it seem like it's not threatened, but then eventually kind of like shrinks away its ears uh, go back and it just runs kind of back into the woods by itself. Um, and then after a few minutes, you know, you hear it like kind of running away, breaking some twigs and whatnot. But then after a few minutes, there's just silence around you. Great. Um, I just uh, keep singing and walking for a while. Uh, and I guess you're saying east is darker. Mm -hmm. West, there's a little bridge over Lorne. Yes. Um, and I have no idea, like the, the abbot didn't specify no, what I'm supposed to do no, with this structure. No, he didn't. Uh, both of them, I mean, you can tell they both go southward, uh, but just one is southwest, one is southeast. Uh, so you can stay on the eastern bank of the river or you can cross over to the west. Um, I will say something that you notice with your, your hunter's eyes and with your brigand's eyes is that the western path uh, seems to be like particularly pocked with uh, signs of traffic. So there's a lot of footprints, a lot of foot tracks that are going to and from over the bridge. Um, and they kind of more or less stop where the crossroads is, but around the bridge, there is a lot of traffic going back and forth. Okay. But that could be a good sign if there's people with the memento mori that I need to find people. And in the other way, it just looks like I was in a dark woods. So um, I think I'm going to go that way, but it, I have to, I now need to be careful not about wolves by being loud, but about people by being quiet. So I'm quietly cursing um, uh, Abbot Matthew for being uh, so, you know, um, so tight with his details. Why didn't he tell me about this crossroads and making a choice? Like, it's very simple. Just say, go, go west, go east. Uh, all he said is south. Great. Yeah. Uh, you know, we cut away, the camera pans away to Abbot Matthew uh, fixing up the, the reliquary in the in the abbey, and he sneezes loudly and then crosses himself, and then it cuts back to you. <laughs> yeah, that's how that works. That's how that karma works. Um, gave him a sneeze. Yeah, so I guess if it's dark, I don't want to light the torch because I don't want to be seen. So mm. I guess mechanically I would suffer some sort of disadvantage, but at the same time, I'm trying to remain hidden. Yes. So I will go with that and uh, continue uh, traversing uh, the road and uh, not on the road, but, but in, in the fully in the bushes, like yeah. hiding hunter style, um, however long it takes. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's about the journey, not the destination. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Sentiment. That's not true. <laughs> this, this is the memento is all about the destination. Yeah. So. <laughs> but it's the, it's the friends we make along the way that really make up the journey. Eh, crab claw lady. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm good. You don't want to be friends with the crab claw fish wife. I mean, I wife you, but I don't think Galois does. I mean, this is a, it's a pretty miserable existence for these characters. Pretty... They're like, please let me find a magical artifact to end my life. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty bleak. 
It's pretty bleak, yeah. Yeah, so taking your time, kind of picking through the underbrush, you know, staying adjacent to the path, but you uh, you eventually make it to a break in the trees, and you see in front of you there's a, a kind of a small clearing, maybe you know, roughly fifty by fifty feet, not huge, but a little little clearing. So some sunlight again, which is very filtered, coming through the clouds, coming down. You can see into this clearing a little bit better. Uh, there's one particularly large oak tree kind of in the center, off-center of the clearing. And um, underneath the oak tree, you spot a small, like, densely smoking kind of wet campfire. It's sending out, like, billows of black smoke up into the boughs mm. of the tree. Uh, around the fire, you notice that there are three men. Um it's just dark enough. There's just enough shadow being cast in your direction from this from the small campfire that you can't quite make out any of their features. Uh, but you can see that there is one man who's like laying on the ground in front of the fire. It seems like he's kind of like, you know, in repose. He's relaxing, um, not asleep, but you know, he's kind of on his on his elbow. Um, I don't know, kind of a sexy pose, I guess. And then the uh, two other men seem to be doing just like chores. One of them seems to be scrubbing out some cook pots. The other is gathering some firewood and tinder uh, for their campfire. Um, you can't hear them. You're a little too far away. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of what you see coming coming up to this clearing. Um, okay, so there's three there's three people. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's this Odalisk figure. Yes, <laughs> and then two others working. Um, do any what do they look like are they do they look like brigands or do they look like people who would have a religious artifact or is there a venn diagram that seems obvious somehow i mean there's probably a venn diagram um uh make a make an insight check for me okay. uh we will do this with disadvantage since it's a little bit dark and you're a little far so away. what it, so disadvantage in this game is uh so a hit would be a five or a six on a dice a five or six mm-hmm. okay I uh, rolled pretty well still. I got a four, a four, so those are not hits. Mm-hmm. A, a two, those are not hits. And then I got a five and a five. Okay, so you got two hits total. Um, yeah. All right, so you, from where you're standing, you kind of try to, like, espy more information about these people. But, um, again, like, just kind of the gloaming sky and the shadows cast by the fire make it so that you can't really tell. <laughs> Damn you, clouds! Yeah, I've been yelling at the clouds all day, and now I'm ye- I'm like yelling at the darkness and yelling at a fire. Like I'm really, yeah. I think Galois thing is he's kind of weirdly more angry with non-humans than with humans. <laughs> he's just kind of like annoyed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love <laughs> I love that. And he it, he's like that species of old man. He's like, ah, oh, this stupid my boot. Yeah. Like it's my boot's fault. I can't put it on correctly. You know, it's like not <laughs> his fault for like stubbing his toe. Um, <laughs> That's great. Um, all right, so mechanically, mark one point of experience under insight. Uh, so every time you fail a check, you mark a point of experience uh, in the specific attribute that you just used for that check. Um, and then once you gain five points of experience under any attribute, you can immediately try to raise your maximum value. So if you fail something five times, so for the, so I'm just writing that down. Yeah. For the benefit of the viewer listener. Yes. If you fail it five times, you can try to get better at it because you've put in the work of failing. Exactly. Which, as we all know, is, yeah, you fail enough times, you never stop failing or whatever. That was in the D&D movie. Yeah. There's a whole bit about failing. Yeah. Um, 
Take it. Shouting out Hasbro. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> did you watch that? Uh, yes, I, uh, I just did finally. I still haven't seen it. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, not saying anything else about the company, but the movie was very entertaining and much better. I thought yes, it would be trash, yes. but it was pretty fun. Um, yeah, this is not product placement, but uh, no. I just saw that yeah. I can now watch it for free on a certain uh, subscription platform, and yes. I haven't seen it yet, so I'm probably going to do that in the next couple of days. That is why we watched as well. We saw that same notice, and we're like, cool, now it is free. Yeah. I would have seen it in theaters, but I couldn't organize my friends well enough, so anyway. Um, who goes to theaters? Who leaves their home anymore? Am I right? <laughs> it's 2023. Uh, Am I right? Live in a borough. So, all right, I'm going to... Um, so I, what did I, so with that result, mm -hmm. it's dark. I can see who they are, but I don't know if these are the chaps. Like, for example, do they seem like British, what was the term, routiers? Yeah, routiers. Um, let's see. Or is that not something I can determine? It's, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you got a couple of hits on that. So we'll do, we'll do the. Are they talking like this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll do. Blimey, fish punter, fish punter cunt. You know, uh, or is, yeah. Are they speaking like oh, you, you Mickey. You mecky bastard. Uh, that was more Australian, <laughs> I think. That was, yeah. That was... <laughs> um, okay, you got a couple of hits on that. So we'll do kind of like a, a soft PBTA thing, which is on my mind because I just edited some other episodes of ours. Um, but yeah, we'll say you can't make out what they're wearing. The man who's laying on the ground, you can hear him. Like maybe the guy carrying the firewood drops some of the firewood and the man laying on the ground yells at him. And he yells at him in broken French. Uh, but you uh, can tell that he has a very thick English accent. Uh, you can't place exactly where he's from, but you know, you've, you've been around Routier. You've, right. you've, these people have been your comrades in arms at one point. Uh, so yeah, you can, you can tell this is probably an Englishman who has been in France for some time. Then I'm going to, with the patience of a hunter, do nothing. I would like to continue to observe these three gentlemen and listen to them. Oi, oi, uh, fish, fish, blimey, uh, talk to each other in their horrible, horrible patois um, until, uh, you know, it's a, I think, I think Tagawa from the south of France, uh, they are like Lovecraftian, like deep ones. They're like quasi humans, the British, you know, they just yeah. sound just so oafish uh, that they were already like, even before all the shit was pop popping off. Yeah, definitely. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So I, I think my low opinion of them from the wars and fighting with, against them. And then later, yes, with some of them did not raise my opinion of them whatsoever. Uh, I think I am, um, you know, just going to wait and see if I can understand, like, are these the specific people with Henri? Do they mention, you know, religious artifacts, relics, um, magical items, gotcha. et cetera. Uh, and maybe they won't, but like, or, or do they even mention like, Hey, the headquarters, that kind of thing. So I think I'm going to be in the bushes being a creeper mm -hmm. um, and just really try to not do anything unnecessary for, for a while. And if I'm hungry, I'm hungry. If I'm cold, I'm cold. Like, I don't know if mechanically it's, you know, unless it's like the dead of winter. No. Yeah. I mean, even, yeah, I guess, I guess there might be like serious problems, but yeah, you tell me, uh, no, you, you should be fine to wait it out a couple hours. Uh, it's, you know, it's still, okay. it's still daytime at this point. It's, I'd say it's late in the day. Oh, okay. Um, not quite. Oh, I was picturing like the sun had fallen around the wolf I think time. But it's, got it. That's... it's starting to set at this point. So maybe this is, uh, maybe this is Vespers. <laughs> yeah. And I might've been right. I think Munns might have come to be associated with Dawn, but I think at the time, um, 
there's a, there are a bunch of words for those things. I'm, I'm remember what you mean. There's like different words for hours in medieval times. Oh yeah, yeah. Matins, But yeah, vespers is definitely dusk. Matins is um, nighttime. Louds is early okay. morning. Um, Louds. Okay, interesting. But yes, vespers, sunset evening. So it is. We'll say it's vespers right now. Great. Um, that would be something cool in the book. Just rando thought. I think stuff like that is kind of interesting. I think it is like... too. I've actually uh, been considering how you could break up travel by canonical hours. So like a simplified yeah. canonical hours where maybe there's like four, three or four of them in a day. And it's like, if you're traveling for a full day, then each canonical hour you roll to see if you've had an encounter or something like that Yeah, uh, as a way of breaking things up a little bit, I think could be interesting. Or you could have the real ones and just say like every two you roll or whatever, yeah. you know, like to, to give it the verity, but, um, but give yourself options. So you could have different levels of crunch. Yeah. So like usually you're, jumping several chunks ahead but you could have smaller chunks if needed the other thing that would be i don't know if you've heard of a little game called castlevania but um <laughs> in castlevania 2 if i recall correctly the monster incidence was higher at night and the monster variety was different yes yeah and so maybe there's also something to do with corruptions and like who who is doing what and how the corruptions affect them that could be could be tested that's cool um, i like tied that. to the, the the medieval hours just just throwing out, you know, just game design. Ideas, uh, all ideas, right. ideas, 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 <laughs> game design. Game. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, so Galwadabitten is hiding. Yes, through through Vespers, through Vespers. watching these oafs um, repose. Yeah. Um, so I'll say, you know, while you are are hiding and just listening, um, you know, maybe you even get like a little bit closer. You kind of creep around on the tree line you get a little closer you can you can hear them a little bit better uh you do hear them talking about what they're going to do next um and one of the two uh one of the two guys that was doing the chores earlier uh mentions you know i think i think that we should just get out of normandy i think we should just leave the whole thing behind us this isn't it's not worth it anymore ever since what happened to Henri, and uh the the man who was laying on the ground, he's still kind of like lazing about while the other two do work for him. And he goes, you lazy cur. We should just make our way north to that village. We should just sack that abbey one more time. There's nothing wrong with that. We'll take all the, all the dunier, all the goods that we need, and then we can make across the channel and we can escape this horrible place. Hmm. Are they, they're talking about doing it just the three of them or like, it sounds like there's others around that they could link up. With. Uh, it seems like it's just the three of them. Okay. But these, none of them are Henri because they refer to Henri being elsewhere. Right. So there's the three of them plus Henri at minimum. There's like four British gangsters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> routiers. Um, I guess I wait to see what they do. Like, are they, are they actively doing a thing or just kind of muddling over, you know? I mean, they're just, they're making camp for the night. Okay. Yeah. So it seems like, you know, they're cooking some pottage and, and whatnot, eating some maybe like manchette bread, some nuts and berries that they've found. And they're just kind of turning in for the night. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the guy who's laying on the ground, if you're going to keep just like hanging out and watching mm -hmm. uh, the guy that's laying on the ground, um, falls asleep. He like kind of takes a horse blanket, puts it over himself, falls asleep. And uh, so does one of the other two men. Um, but the third one slips off on the opposite side of the tree Ooh. and you don't see where he goes. 
question how quickly do people come back uh it as corrupted it is variable so it's 2d6 hours for each individual person after they die so between 2 and 12 hours so owing to my high finesse and hunter background mm -hmm. i would like to say that i could sneak over to these two fools and slit their throats in their sleep and then go off after the third and track him and not lose too much time and not make a lot of noise doing any of that. I understand that might involve multiple roles, but yeah. I would like to say that that is the thing that Galwa is m probably most confident in is being very quiet and killing stuff. I think that that is um, very fair. So um, yeah, I'll have you make a, make a finesse roll to see if you can sneak up okay. on the sleeping men. We'll do this one with advantage because you're they're they're sleeping, you know. Well, I also have Hunter. I would hope that, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's a stretch. But yeah. uh, all right, I'm going to roll uh, Finesse, mm -hmm. yes? Okay, I'm going to roll with Advantage. Oh, that was a terrible roll. Wow, that was very bad. Um, so I got one success so far. I'm going to roll two more dice because I only have 66s. So I'm going to roll two more. One success so far. I got a, a six. So that's two successes. Okay. And I also got a three. Is a three with Advantage a success? With Advantage, that is a success. Great. And then I got three successes total across eight dice. Terrible roll, but not whatever. Not great. Um, not great. Yeah, you can also use uh, fervor to re-roll your misses if you want to spend a point of fervor. Um, do I need fervor to do a thing later? The reason I ask is, I think if I were, if I recall from reading your book, um, fervor might be used with spiritual matters do i need a fervor to use the memento mori not that my character would know that but i'm just curious like how it's supposed to work uh no you do not oh okay yeah. then i guess and again i don't just because this is the first time i'm playing i'm not trying to like cheat you don't don't have to tell me but i mean is three three successes in some games is like great mm -hmm. and in other games is like middling or whatever is is three successes here good bad like is there any way that i would have a sense of that going into this or not really? I guess um, not really. So, so it's kind of like, okay. it's kind of like in a lot of editions of D and D where it's, it's like a hidden DC kind of thing. So it's like, I'm choosing a, a challenge rating for the role that you're making. So I chose a four, um, which is like pretty middle of the road, um, especially considering four your, successes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, especially considering your finesse score, like a four, you know, mathematically should be pretty achievable. Um, but that being said, uh, yeah, there wouldn't really be a way of knowing that. I guess, you know, I, uh, that's a thing where like the chronicler or the GM could telegraph potential consequences. Um, right, right. But uh, Well, like some yeah. games there's hidden and some games there's nothing hidden. Right. And I, I'm used to, like in Still Fleet, there's no hidden DCs or whatever. Right, you know? right. Um, so I think it's interesting to think about like when you want to, egg people on to use stuff or not. Mm -hmm. um, but it makes, yeah. Anyway, I, I've questioned that the DC assignment, but yeah, so I would spend if uh, fervor to reroll in that case, because otherwise it makes kind of no sense. Right. Yeah. Um, so I only have two fervor. So I'm going to spend one. And does that just let me roll one dice or I reroll all of them? Uh, or what is that? So you can reroll all of your misses in this check for spending oh, one point of fervor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So if I got three out of eight, then I'm rolling five dice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that should do it. Yes. Okay. I got a six, a five and a five. Okay. So that's, um, three more successes. So six total. Great. Yeah. So yeah, you are, you're able to, uh, kind of slink your way over in the shadows. Um, and yeah, you make it up to these, uh, these two sleeping men. Maybe you 
step on a twig along the way and it snaps loudly, mm-hmm. but you're able to freeze. They haven't woken up. That's the that's the moment that you burned your fervor. <laughs> right, right. It's like you made a, a little prayer that they didn't wake up and hear you and some someone somewhere heard you. Um well not physically, but spiritually. Uh I think we cut back to Abbott Matthew waking up violently sneezing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like, what was that? Uh, Sacre bleu. It pans into the um, darkness, and then it just shows him, like, in bed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, I have, like, on the, I've quickly reached around and found, a, I've pulled, a, like, a sleeping bird from a nearby tree and, like, thrown it onto the ground. And they, they look over and they see, like, I'm behind a, you know, a branch. And they see a little bird walking around. And they're like, oh, a bird. Oh, great. And then, yeah, they just uh, fall back asleep. <laughs> they're like, oh, no problem. Sorry about making this very cartoonish, Chris. I just, this is where my mind goes. This sort of picture. No, it's all good. Uh, when I was playtesting with Jen last night, we also had some pretty fun cartoonish moments. There was like one point yeah. where she's fighting this, you know, monster for lack of a better term. And she, her character's name was Jean, uh, the embryo, Jean Le Embryo. That's a weird name. Uh, <laughs> and she, I approve. She's like fighting this monster. She throws a cudgel at its head, hits him in the head with the cudgel, and then goes, Hi, I'm John. And it was just like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. It's very funny. That's a very, like, uh, yeah, that's a that's a mixed signals kind of thing. <laughs> I, I would say, I don't even mean cartoony like cartoon. I mean, like, um, I love the Liam Neeson movies yeah. where he's an old guy, but, and he's, like, got a very boring, he's like, I'm just your average Irish insurance adjuster living in the big city, but since you've kidnapped my wife, I'll, like, systematically use random objects in this room to break everyone's legs yeah. before you can shoot me, even though you're all mobsters with guns and I'm an old man. <laughs> and it's, like, that's, it's, you know what I mean? It's, like, shown in a realistic way, but you're, like, hold on. Yeah, that doesn't. There's, like, 12 guys there. They would just shoot him. Yeah. Like, anyway. Um, so that's the vibe I'm going for. I think I'll, uh, like, expertly, like, in a cool way yeah. that doesn't, I don't know that re- this would work well in real life if you tried it, but, like, hides, goes over, and... I guess I don't even have a knife, right? I just, so I guess I'm using like the edge of my arming sword. Yeah. Like I'm being as quiet. I'm using the minimum necessary treating this. Like, you know, I snuck up on a sleeping animal somehow, which is extremely hard to do. Um, other than cats. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I fucking kill the first guy that I find. Yeah. Uh, you, you come up to the, the man who seemed to be giving orders earlier. Um, and as you draw your blade across his throat, um, he, he starts to wake up, but he just kind of like silently gurgles on the ground. And as he's thrashing, he kind of moves the horse blanket away. And you notice that he's actually wearing uh, fairly nice uh, brigandine armor. Uh, so it's like a leather that's been reinforced with some steel plating on it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He's also carrying an arming sword. Like he has probably better equipment than most people that you're going to run into. Right. Um, the other man, does not wake up and so yeah you go over and you you slit his throat as well and he's just kind of he's wearing trash he's got like a shitty uh not even like armor on he's just got like a a ragged dirty tunic uh you can see that next to his uh kind of makeshift pillow that he's made out of maybe like a roll of of uh you know cloth uh he's got like a kind of knotted and scored cudgel um, but yeah, you can tell like mm. this man was very impoverished or is very impoverished since he is going to come back to life eventually. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's still going to yeah. have that same cudgel. I'm not taking, I can't carry all this shit. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I think I try to, I try to, well, now that they're both dead. So if they're both dead, yeah, I loot the bodies. I, all I'm doing, if they, if that's all they have, right, is taking the armor. Okay. Yeah. Um, which I am, I guess, let me go back to the PDF. I imagine that gives me what three DF instead of two, perhaps. Um, let's see. It should, it should be a variable score for the 1.2 edition. Oh, D3 DF. Yeah. Yeah. So I. I think before it was so before my gamison said two def now it says d2 if yes. i switch it to the brigandine it says d3 but it takes three slots um three slots so yes. that will be my the end of my slots but that's okay um yes. so d3 def and no free slots uh and then his sword is the same like like mechanically there's no difference right yeah there's no difference okay uh, then you... if there's no difference i yeah. leave it you could or, probably even or like, what? you could probably even see that yours is like of a slightly higher quality or maybe less uh, less used. So it's not like you would get yeah. more money for this sword than the one that you're already carrying, or like more trade value out of it. Well, actually, yeah, that would make sense. So I'm gonna put an arming. I'm gonna get his arming sword and just give up. I haven't really done anything, so I don't know if I want to give up the ration or the rope. Um, I'm going to give up my ration and just have no ration and I'll just have two arming swords instead. All right, cool. Oh, but that's two slots. Yeah, they take Man, two slots. I haven't played a game with inventory since I played Torchbearer with Mike like 15 years ago. Um, <laughs> uh, I give up my rope and I give up my ration and I now have two arming swords. Okay. So yeah, that works. out one, two, three, four, five, and four. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I have some herbs a torch armor two swords and 11 bucks uh, <laughs> 11 denier um i am ready to rock i'm following the um mystery brigand number three mystery brit mm-hmm. um and i'm being as careful but speedy as i can with my aged but still dexterous uh, you know hunters training instincts uh, and in my head, I'm saying like, uh, here, little Brits. No, I'm probably not saying that. Uh, but I'm, you know, like monologuing because I'm bored and it's been a long day. Yeah, I'm yeah. Tired. Um, uh, so make a uh, make an insight check for me, and this will be an opposed okay. opposed roll. Opposed roll. Okay, great. Yes. And I don't think I have advantage unless you think hunter would count. Um, I'll but give that's, you advantage. Those, are those once per session or? Um, no. Grant advantage no. on relevant checks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, you can use advantage because you have a hunter background. Okay. Well, in that case, I rolled pretty well either way. I got a six, a six, so those would be successes. A four is that a success mm-hmm. either way? Yep. And then a three, so it's either three successes or four successes with advantage. Yeah, you got four successes with advantage there. Um, yeah. So Same. you uh, um, you pretty quickly pick up his trail. You know this this guy maybe he's had some some I don't know gut rot some wine or mm. something like that but he obviously wasn't being very careful um and you can tell that he's basically just checking the perimeter around this clearing um but you're able to uh, pretty quickly pick up his trail and sneak up behind him without him perceiving you uh, so he's probably about 10 feet ahead of you um distracted maybe he's like peeing against a tree or something like that uh, but in the kind of like mm-hmm. low light of the now somewhat distant fire, you can make him out. Um, I would like to, if possible, sneak up and 
basically, I, I think what I would do realistically is put one sword down very, very slowly and carefully, like have it completely off and just like put it in the ground, like on the leaves. And then with the other, very slowly and carefully, depending on the timing of like when I spot him and how long his piss is, et cetera, but like <laughs> draw the blade. And then I would leap forward and try to, in one fell swoop, cut off one of his legs so he's like alive but can't get away and then i will interrogate him with the caveat that if i notice that he's like a mutant with like iron legs of the giraffe or whatever then like i don't i don't know that i would do that if i can tell i don't know that i can tell you know, yeah from being yeah in the trees. I, I actually I, I didn't tell you the the corruptions that these other guys had but we can get back to that if you go back to the campsite later um you, you do notice from the kind of low light that you have that the only visible corruption that this guy has is he has some like, like kind of jagged, sharp bones coming out of his head, kind of Darth Maul style, another Liam Neeson movie. So he's kind of your natural, <laughs> your natural enemy, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's not Irish Liam Neeson. That's space Liam Neeson. They are basically different guys. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that that's my plan. I think I jump at him and try to attack him and just get with the element of surprise, you know, get him good where he's not going to be able to react quickly enough and he's going to be sort of stuck. And even if he's alive, like he's going to be in a, on the ground, hopefully, you know, uh, not able to get away, basically. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you, you've you snuck up on this guy very well. I'm going to say this, uh, this will be an unopposed uh, finesse attack roll. Um, so okay. it's just, it's a finesse check like any other, if you, um, are successful. And in this case, so this isn't in the 1.2 rolls, but this is something that I've been experimenting with, um, similar to instill fleet. You have inspired me, uh, when you're in combat, if somebody's going to attack you, you can choose to dodge. If you choose to dodge, you have to burn a point of your finesse. So your current finesse goes down if you choose to dodge. Um, but that means that you get to do an opposed roll. Uh, if you don't choose, then the attacker still has a CR of two uh, to hit you. So they can still miss, you know, if they really blunder. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the idea. So this would be an unopposed attack roll because he has no idea that you're behind him. Uh, so it's just a CR of two. Uh, but yeah, you'll roll your finesse and see if you can whack him. If I get two result, uh, two successes. And so in this version, so like I have Vitality 3, Finesse 8, Insight 5. Are those mm -hmm. numbers generally flexing up and down? And do they have a temporary and a maximum like yes. health in many systems? Or is that not how it works? Yes, they have a... Just out uh, of curiosity. Yeah, they have a, a current or a temporary, however you want to put it, and a maximum score. Uh, so your, your max score is Vitality 3. As you take physical okay. damage, that goes down. Uh, finesse... Max is eight as you are dodging and becoming more tired from dodging. Um, or there are some types of physical damage, like if I were to clip your Achilles tendon or something like that, you would take damage to your finesse. Um, and then insight, uh, the way the mechanic I'm experimenting with right now is that every time you use a spiritual corruption, um, you have to spend a point of insight in order to use it. Uh, okay, I think that was fervor. In the last... Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, then I'm going to roll uh, finesse and try to trap this guy's leg off. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, not sorry. Uh, yeah, and I already rolled. So I only rolled six of them so far, but I have um, almost all successes. So I got five okay. successes. Uh, and that's one more. So five plus another is six successes. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, you burst out of the underbrush. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, not sorry. 
<laughs> um, yeah, and you uh, you take this man's leg clean off. Uh, roll roll damage. So that would be, I believe, one d six for the arming sword. We're gonna. Hey, see the old if... one is two d six. Is it now one d six? I'm just uh, just double checking. Oh, is it really for the arming sword two d six? Unless I copied it wrong, but I was I believe I was just copying and, and pasting stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, I have arming sword one d six. Okay. All right. Um, a bastard. So, all right, a bastard one d six. Two d six. One d six damage. I got a two. So you just got two damage there. Okay. Um, yep. Yeah. You uh, you cut his leg off. Um, <laughs> how do you how do you narrate this? You cut the guy's leg. Okay. You don't cut it off. Uh, you you gash the back of his leg pretty deeply, and he's bleeding out. Uh, but he he doesn't die from this wound immediately. You know, we'll say he's definitely bleeding out, but he uh, lets go of whatever he was doing <laughs> against the tree and grabs his leg on top, kind of making a quick tourniquet. But he kind of collapses to the ground and rolls around to see you, and his eyes are filled with terror. Um, I mean, you've really you really shocked this man. Uh, he's he's screaming. He's like, "Ah, oh, who are you? What do you want?" Uh, oh, hello. Uh, what's your name? <laughs> I don't think I say hello. Sorry. What's your name? Just... I'm pointing the sword at his throat. Like, yeah, right? yeah. This is a, a coerced hello. Coerced introduction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he says, uh, uh, my, my name is Levine. Who are you? What's, what is happening? Uh, my name is not important. What is important, Levine, is would you like to... Uh, go to hell and come back like we keep doing over and over again? Or uh, should I let you crawl away? Um, really, the choice is yours. It matters very little to me. But I am seeking something you may know. The location of it is a memento mori. Uh, he, he says, oh, oh, please, sir, please, please spare me. I, I, cannot, I cannot become corrupted again. My, my body, my soul, I, I, can't, I can't do it again. It's too terrible a fate. I'll tell you anything you want, anything. I assume he's speaking British, uh, or he's speaking British inflected French or broken French or something. Or uh, this guy's or just this speaking. Guy's just, he's just speaking French. French. This, okay. this guy is French. Yeah. Um, I just want to know where the memento mori is. There is a Henri. I hear tell has a memento mori. Uh, it's a thing from heaven. I don't know what it looks like. I'm picturing like maybe a cool big cup. Maybe it's got like a picture of Jesus scriven on it. Uh, Jesus is making signs like hello come to me maybe it's not it's just a normal uh, you know I don't know maybe it's a ball I'm like now just fucking with him like (laughs) what does it look like you're just fucking with him I love it Um, he uh, he says oh you you seek Henri you seek that monster you must not know that fate has has bestowed upon him the curse the curse he's a he is possessed he is Become not himself. He mm-hmm. he stalks the tower where we were once living. I don't know what accent I'm doing now. Uh, <laughs> where we were it's once. A little, little Scottish. Where we were once He's living. He's from the uh, the Scottish part of France. Yeah. Um. I think now I just temp- I'm very like temp- moodily moodily like just very angry mm-hmm. and I like stab him in the shoulder you know and I'm like uh point you know like point the way like I like no nonsense mm-hmm. no no fucking about like where 
am I going to get this memento more? I need to know immediately. Okay, yeah. Uh, you stab him in the shoulder. Uh, he takes a little bit more damage. He looks like he's about to pass out, but he uh, he kind of, with his good arm, whatever arm is left uh, after that, he he points to the south end of the clearing. And he says, "Not not even two miles from here, you'll find the keep. That is where we have been staying, and where Henri keeps his treasure." I don't know if he has this this memento thing that you keep talking about, but he has many artifacts. He never mentioned a religious artifact that can, uh, you know, reverse immortality, grant final peace, uh, bring the sweet kiss of oblivion, any of these phrases. I don't know if it's the same in the north of France. Um, he says, oh, oh, yes, yes, he did mention there was, there was a statue, a statuette. Um, it was... It was from Cain, so he said. That's why we stayed at the keep. He thought it was there. He thought it was hidden there somewhere. He thought that touching it could could bring about the end of this curse. Oh, but then the curse got him anyway. So kind of like um, dying of thirst right before you get to the well or something like this? So, something like that, yes, I, I suppose. Can, uh, please, sir, can I, can I tend to my wounds? Yeah, yeah. I let him, Does he have a weapon? Or any um, weapons that are visible? Yeah, he, so next to him, kind of uh, propped up on a tree, he had a, uh, a bow with uh, with uh, ten arrows in a quiver. Uh, but it seems like he put it down to relieve himself before you attacked him. Okay. Um, I take the bow. Okay. And the arrows, obviously. Um, I leave him... If he doesn't have it, does he have anything else that could harm me? Like, if I'm retreating. Uh, he has, like, a cudgel hanging off of his belt. I, I get the cudgel and walk over to the bow and get the bow. The cudgel I'm just going to, like, throw in the bushes. I just, I just like, drag it all away. Like, it's, I'm not trying to, like, equip yeah, it, yeah. you know. Um, I drag it over to where the arming sword is. I drag all that shit out of the way. And then I very quickly kind of, you know, I'm, like, sliding through the woods with all this crap. And I find some place to kind of stow the cudgel. Um... And then I guess this is where, you know, the equipment stuff would matter. Because it'd be dope to have the two swords and the bow. That's a very, like, D&D video game yeah. kind of build. Um, but yeah, that's probably out of... I don't know how many slots that, that is that I would need. Uh, the, I do want the bow and the, the arrows. Because I imagine I'm that's something I'm familiar with. The bow, I believe, takes... Let me see. You think... Uh... And how much... Okay, so I'm looking... bow. It's bow or longbow? Just a normal uh, bow? a regular bow. Uh, so it's, okay, so it's D6. Uh, three slots to hold this, uh, but that also one D6 damage, three slots. Yeah, so that also includes your your arrows. The bow and arrows take up one slot together, or they take up okay, three so slots together, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I guess I also, if I can, I would like to ditch the cudgel early and then keep dragging the sword. Like even if I tie it to my belt, you know. Yeah. And I'm obviously making a trail, and I'm not trying to go back. to... I'm trying to basically go through the woods between where I am now and the camp. So I, if those guys awaken, reawaken early, mm-hmm. you know, like they're not, I'm not there, but I go through the woods a while. And after a bit, I also just ditch the sword, but I think I'd be more careful about disposing of the sword, like covering in branches, like burying sure. it. So I want to end up with my sword, the bow. I still think that puts me over by one slot. So I think I'd have to also ditch my torch. Okay. So I now have herbs, the brigandine, the sword, and the bow and arrows, um, and nothing else, and then the 11 Dunyate. Nice. 
Um, so I've thrown the cudgel, ditched the bow, uh, ditched the arming sword, and hopefully have moved south toward wherever the guy, uh, I already forgot his name. Fuck that guy. Uh, wherever he pointed me as swiftly, quietly, but like not trying to run into even more mutated uh, British soldiers. Yeah, yeah. So do I need to do checks for any of that? Or is that all sort no, of... I think you're you're good. You're, you're pretty much in the clear. Um, like that okay. dude is definitely not coming after you. Um, yeah, I wasn't trying to kill... Like when I say stabbing it, I was more just like... Uh, hard, like I probably did stab him. I was pretty mad. But, you know, like more a, of like a, a poke. Hard, like I a was hard trying to get poke. him to talk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I only had him take one point of damage for that. So it's just... Okay. It was a, 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 a slight stab. Not a not a yeah. deep stab. It's just it's a very Monty Python. Like I'm I'm still good. I can still fight. <laughs> yeah, very. One one limb left. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to just leave these guys. I think I know where I'm going. I think I know where this thing is. If if you know the, that it seemed like he was telling the truth from your your role play. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I'm just gonna go with you know I know where it is. Yeah, I'm gonna that, head straight that there. Dude was that dude was a coward, and that's even written into the module. <laughs> Love <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a thing where, like, if you uh, harm either one of the two brigands that were with this Routier guy, if you harm them and take away more than half of their vitality, then they just book it. They just run. Because uh, they're just like, this isn't worth, like, it's not worth it. I don't give a yeah. shit about this. I just want to live and be left alone kind of thing. Um, That's great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you, make your way, you make your way through the woods. Um, I will say, uh, make... Make an insight check since it is dark and you're kind of off the beaten path. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to like follow directions in the dark with no torch yeah. carefully, but also like, yeah, kind of speedily. Um, or okay. I got three uh, successes. Okay. You got three. That's, out of that's great. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, you, you pass that little travel check there. Um, you eventually after a few hours of kind of stumbling through the woods, through darkness, um, you find yourself at another break in the tree line just as the sun is beginning to rise, which, again, just for fun's sake, uh, it is now Louds. L-A-U-D-S, for those listening. Uh, it is, it's now Louds. The sun is starting to, early morning sun is starting to rise on the eastern horizon. And as it breaks over the trees, you can see the rays of the sun hitting a tower. It's about, how tall is it? Uh, it's about like 85 feet tall or so. It's a cylindrical tower. And you can, you're can you coming at it from the north. And you can see that at each one of the cardinal directions, there is a smaller tower that's jutting out from the main body. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's like a, so it's pretty big. It's pretty, it it's like. pretty big. Yeah. Um, I can show you an image of it. If you can see it. Oh yeah, cool. Yep. So it's a kind of squat mm -hmm. fortressy seeming clearly, yeah, standing above the trees. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I definitely am um same thing, like trying to go there very quickly directly, but not in a rush to the point where I would alert, you know, potential ambushers. Yeah. Very much on the lookout for a mutant beast named Henri and in my head, yeah, I'm like, Henri, hello, is there <laughs> hello. a horrible demon of this name? Um I do also want to point out uh, it is an hour and a half in. How are you feeling? Do you want to do you want to do a part two another time, similar to our Still Fleet game? Yeah. Well, we should also resume that Still Fleet game. I'd love to know, know. what what happens I, um, with your. I want to know what happens to Svarm 
very badly. Yeah. I love that name. Uh, I mean, I think, Chris, that is entirely dependent, which I honestly don't know how much more there is to this Memento Mori story. There, There's probably about another hour left that we could play. Okay. Yeah. Then, yeah, why don't we do the same thing? We'll do a part two. So we'll do part two of uh, first um, time you play Still Fleet, part two of first time I play Dance Macabre. Yeah. And then we'll, um, maybe we can do after that, you know, a discussion episode where we talk about some of the mechanical and narrative um, things that we, that we liked and, and, you know, yeah. the worlds and all that. That sounds great. Um, awesome. So this is super fun. Uh, and I'm enjoying, uh, you know, the dice pool system makes sense. Um, and I think uh, probably the things we talked about before, it just occurs to me when, when running it um, is that would be hard for new GMs. I think might just be the historical bit. I think the yeah. mechanics are pretty clear and, um, OSRE without being either D20 or 2D6. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think dice pools are, are back, baby. I think they're, um, <laughs> we're going to see a lot of those. Uh, and yeah, I like the world, but I, yeah, I'm very curious about the, the sort of zombie apocalypse vibe, but like everyone's still around, yeah. you know, cause it's interesting when you think about the apocalypse, often it's about the removal mm-hmm. of, of, of people. And in this case, it's, it's something else. It's this removal of humanity, but like the bodies are still right. Yeah, churning it's, through the world. It's, well, it does have a zombie apocalypse vibe in that it's it's the proliferation of bodies, but they're becoming more and more distinctly unhuman over time. Yeah, um, which yeah, which is interesting. Um, yeah, and I I agree. I think that's going to be one of the biggest hurdles for running the game is the the historical element. But that's why I'm putting a lot of work into building out a settings guide for it. Um, so that hopefully like that kind of like stuff is taken care of on the front end for new GMs. Right. Um, and also like, you know, being like you, that it doesn't have to be set in a historical place. It can be, you know, you'll know that there's like the regions of Normandy, the regions of whatever, Toulouse, uh, Occitane, things like that. But like, you can just make up villages and spots within those regions. Um, right. Right. But I'm thinking of things that a GM might want that you could provide, which would be like, a paragraph about this department, you know, like, like roughly what is Normandy like? Oh yeah, absolutely. And but also because of several things, Americans who might be primary buyers of your game don't know anything about other countries generally. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, and they don't certainly know about things in the 1300s, 1400s, you know, yeah. they're not going to know what's actually happening. And then your game actually does presume that interesting speculative, you know, the novum of like, okay, the apocalypse happens. And so, it, it is actually not Normandy in this in 1390. It's like right. Normandy in 1390 dot, 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 but yeah. with mutants. Um, so Normandy. I think it'd be great to have those, those little tags, you know, even if they're like bullet pointed, like general thoughts on if you, if they go here, if they go here, if you want a game yeah. that's a more like this or a more, uh, absolutely. Because that's a trope that I like about zombie movies is there's always the enclaves that are like doing well, but they're kind of messed up mm-hmm. because, it's they're authoritarian or everyone's a cult or whatever it's doing well with a compromise to what we would consider basic humanitarianism right um right uh, right yeah in the uh in the and there's and there's ones that are yeah Uh, no no and then there's areas that are fully just like everyone is just don't go there yeah so i think that would be interesting to to give gms a sense of like how you having the historical background are 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 setting up those different um Mm -hmm pathways for for the groups to explore yeah yeah absolutely yeah that's something i did in the when i was writing this you know admittedly pretty vanilla short module but like there's an entire background section on normandy and kane uh 
Um, because I was just like, well, what if somebody doesn't want to go south to the keep? What if they want to go north to Kane? And so I've got a two paragraph explainer of what is happening in that city at this time. Um, so yeah, no, I agree. I think that those um, brief but descriptive kind of paragraphs are are very necessary for running the game and just establishing the flavor overall. Yeah, yeah, and it might be fun, and then it feels so fun. Like I, I mean, I think it would be really great. You, you know, you and I were talking um, between episodes or whatever, but about you know, if you released a bunch of introductory ventures, and some of them are set in different times or places, but using yeah, the yeah. same rules and same background because i think that'd be a fun challenge to write like a short thing that says okay we're in whatever x part of the world um and here's kind of what's going on and here's the story and here's i mean i'm curious to see how it plays out so i i really don't know and i'm very interested to find out you know what happens when gawa gets the memento mori um is that good bad you know this this is it's a very bleak uh setting so i'm curious (laughs) if you how much you've thought through and what's what's worked in in previous play tests you know um with with the good ending versus bad ending kind of question, uh, if that makes yeah, sense. Which is another zombie like problem, zombie genre problem. In a right. Way. Yeah. Is there a good ending? What does that even? What does right. that mean? What does that look like? Uh, no, it's it's interesting. I was talking about with this this with Jen last night. Um, everyone who's played and has gotten to kind of like the resolution of at least this quest, um, it's it's been so utterly different. Just depending on the person who's playing the supplicant. Mm. Um, cause there's, you know, there's always going to be some bleed from real life that comes into it. So, you know, playing with somebody who like, I was playing with a friend who was having a really hard day, having kind of a hard week. And like, that was the bleakest interpretation that I've seen so far. <laughs> they like, they found the memento mori and then they were like, I hold the memento mori in my hand and I draw my dagger and slit my own throat slowly letting the blood gush out. And then like other people are just like, cool, I found this thing. I'm going to go back to the village. And then they like accidentally die on their way back to the village. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, great. It's it's over. Well don't, well, don't tell me yet, but I'm curious how, I guess my question is almost more like what happens the next second, right? Because in, yeah. how do you narrate, do you know what I mean? That in a, in a way, like the, the denouement of like, I mean, the Marvel movies, even stupid as we may think them or great as we may think them, whatever, had to deal with that, right? With Thanos yeah. and like, you've killed a bunch of people, then some of them come back, time has kept passing. Like, it, it was like a weird thing to have to write, mm-hmm. given the simplicity action movies generally sort of deal with, to have this very complex philosophical, like, wait a second, half yeah. of humanity disappeared for four years and Another most back. of them are now back and like yeah. don't have homes social relations have changed kids have grown up a little bit and also like some of them don't come back and so there's like a lot of weird like moments and i I think your game is is interesting in that it's setting up i think a lot of that vibe Mm -hmm. of like how do you how what would that really be like you know which is not actually it's interesting it's not a question of historical fantasy or or zombie stuff i mean it's it's actually like a really different genre almost it's like yeah. it's like the good place you know it's like a philosophical <laughs> horror yeah um so i i should leave it at that because i i really want to play through and and um you know i think you can see where you know galois said it i think he thinks this is um this is better than just fighting british uh brigands and talking about turnips for the rest of his for, life so, for eternity for um, the foreseeable for eternity, eternity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah, no, this is great. Uh, thanks a lot for running uh, the game, Chris. It's always yeah. fun to, to play. Thank you for playing. And um, yeah, I guess we'll discuss um, off 
off uh, stream, you know, when, what we want to do next, but um, I'm very happy to, to pick this up and or pick up still fleet. Um, whether that's pro probably as early as next week. Yeah. Uh, so we will, um, you know, get this, get this episode out and uh, thanks everybody who eventually, you know, tunes in and checks out why we roll. Thanks for listening to Why We Roll. Our theme music is by the brilliant Sam Tyndall and Arcline. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Twitch and what used to be Twitter at Why We Roll, and on Instagram at whyweroll.pod. You can find out more about Dance Macabre at timespaceplace.itch.io slash dance dash macabre. You can find out more about Stillfleet at stillfleet.com. Thanks for listening.